Okay, so Second Chronicles chapter number 34, starting in verse number 14. The Bible says, And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shechan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and had delivered it into the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king, and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahakam the son of Shaphan and Abdon the son of Micah and Shaphan the scribe and Isaiah a servant of the king saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in the book. Heavenly Father, we need a touch from you now. Pray God you to help us. Guard our lips and play. Give us liberty to preach. Speak through us, Lord. Hide us behind the shadow of the cross. We thank you, praise you, give you glory and honor. Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen and amen. Now, last Sunday morning, uh, I felt impressed to deal with uh, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 5 in the Sunday school hour. And uh, just as I was studying in my office at home and trying to get the mind of the Lord, I felt like I was being pushed, had two messages that the Lord was working in my heart at the same time. And uh, as time grew closer to church, I just felt like the Lord would have me to take the Sunday school hour and deal with that little burden that was on my heart, that little thing. Uh, it wasn't a little matter, but this little message or thought that the Lord had placed on my heart in Proverbs 22, 5. And, Brother Marvin graciously allowed me to have his Sunday school class for uh, that portion of time, and I do appreciate that, that we was dealing in that verse of Scripture with the thought of training up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And we made a point when we were dealing in this text that uh, we, it is our duty, of course, to instill some things in our children that when they are older, that when we are dead and gone, the principles of the things in which we taught. Now, if we are living right, we are shaping our life by the book, right? And our children are growing up, and they are having to be trained, and we are the ones that are given the authority and the duty and the obligation to train them in the right way. And so we teach them, and they learn principles and have to live by principles that you and I have adopted as born-again believers saved by the grace of God. And so the idea is that when we're dead and gone, because understanding to train up a child the way that he should go when he is old, he will not be able to get rid of the training that you placed in his life. 
Oftentimes, if I've had a, 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 a straying heart or a straying thought, uh, things come back into my remembrance that I was called as a young man. And, and I, would, uh, I would find myself as a teenager sometimes, you know, being drawn to a certain direction and the thought of hurting someone that had stilled such truths in my life broke my heart. And I'll be honest with you today, there's a lot of things I did not do a lot of things I did not involve myself in because of the respect that I had for a few people that instilled some principles in my life that made a difference that are still with me today, although they are gone. So I could say to you that part of who they were, which come from the confines of Scripture, is still with me today. Some things that they believed in and some truths that they were guided by still live with me today, although they're gone and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank the Lord for that. And so we realize the importance of training and some things that your history uh, will, will affect. All right? You've got a history. And uh, there's some things in my history that maybe you're not privy to. You don't know me from that of a child or from that of my teenage years. But you are seeing some things in me today that are here because of a principle that was instilled in me in days gone by. All right? Now, there are some things that are just automatically picked up by being in proximity to someone else. You could take a child that is born into this world, put that child in a family of heathens, and that, that individual will grow up being a heathen. You understand that, right? Now thank God for the Word of God and the grace of God that can go to a lost and dying individual and change their, their outlook on life and change their heart and they can get saved. I appreciate that. But you understand you take on those things that are around you. All right? And so here's what I want you to see. Uh, as this, this world has a moral degradation, you understand that. And it is on a moral decline at a rapid rate, which is exponentially increasing day by day. But we do know that there are some things in this country that people hold to to this very day that does not come because they were raised in a godly home. But because they have, you know, we, we talk about, uh, when we look at history. Now, what is one thing that this country right now is being is under it's under attack is our history. The the government, as we know it, is taking certain facts of history that you and I would have learned in school, Brother Gene, and they are trying to eradicate them. They're trying to get rid of them. And we know that a, a people that uh, does not remember history is destined to repeat history. We understand that. There's a lesson to be learned. By history. Now, I believe in the Bible. We're preaching the Bible. But I'm telling you today that there's things in our past, there's things that this country was founded on that you and I find that portions of that are still instilled in some people today. You talk about the, the, the military, and, and there's people that, that could care less who fought in the wars or in the service for our country. But yet there's still a generation of people today that when they pass somebody on the street, Brother Gene, that's got a, a Korean War veteran or a Vietnam veteran, there's a respect that comes from them because they know what they've done for our country, right? That's something that's, that's passed down from generation to generation. You don't know to grow up and respect a Vietnam veteran. 
You grow up in respect the Vietnam veteran because in that era, your father or grandfather respected a Vietnam veteran because he understood what they were doing, right? So things naturally get instilled and we can go back in our history and look at some things that affect us today and uh, there's some conservative values, and I'm not talking from a biblical standpoint, I'm talking from a political standpoint today. There's some people that would hold what they call conservative values, but if you're listening to them talk to the cashier at Walmart, they're every fourth or fifth word out of their mouth, the cuss word, or they've got alcohol upon their breath, or they smell like they've been in a forest fire because they smoked a carton of cigarettes that day. What I'm saying to you is, is they have some things that's been instilled in them that they think is right and isn't altogether wrong. But they're not saved by the grace of God. They don't have the whole scoop. They don't understand the whole picture. They just know that they're sympathetic and they have empathy for certain things because of what has been shown them in the past. Right? So there's some values, I guess is what I'm trying to say, that some people still have to this day, even though they do not come from a moral standpoint based upon Scripture. I can get along with certain people that don't go to the house of God better than I can some other people that don't go to the house of God. Right? And so here's what I'm saying to you. Right here is we're finding a story of a young man who at the age of eight years old became king, and he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem for one and thirty years. This king is by the name of Josiah. All right, and we understand there's a, there's a lineage here, and let me give this to you real quick. We were preaching on Hezekiah just a few Sundays back. Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh, a very, very wicked, wicked man, done wicked, wicked things. He had a son named Ammon, and Ammon died, and now you find that Josiah is the next in line. And Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, but I want you to notice that these two generations between Hezekiah and Josiah were generations of wickedness. But now you do understand that Hezekiah, when he weeped to the Lord and he talked about the fact that he knew he was going to die and the Lord gave him 15 years, Hezekiah's argument or, or, or prayer to the Lord or, or he was crying to the Lord was, Lord, look at what I've tried to do for you. I tried to live for you. I tried to have some values and some things based upon principles that pertain to you. And the Lord recognized it as such. It wasn't a lie. It was the truth. The Bible tells us that. But somewhere between Hezekiah and Josiah, things take a turn for the worst. Right? And, and we find there's leadership that, has, that is pointing people in the wrong direction. But along comes this eight-year-old Josiah. And his daddy is dead. says when he began to reign, he reigned in Jerusalem one in thirty years. All right? And so he, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Now this is a blanket statement. Verse 2 is a blanket statement concerning an overall viewpoint, a summary, if you will, of the life of Josiah. So when we look at verse number 2, if I was going to summarize to you uh, this man named Josiah, I could summarize it in verse 2. I could tell you who Josiah was in summary by relating to you verse number 2. But I want you to understand something. There's a progression that makes up this story of Josiah that we need to look at uh, this morning. The Bible says from the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young... He began 
He did not begin to seek the Lord, Brother Shane, until he had been on the throne eight years. That puts this young man at the ripe old age of 16 years old. This man is a king. And he goes, starts his, his reign at eight, and eight years pass. And when eight years pass, the Bible says he began to seek after the God of David, his father. Then the Bible says, and in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Now here's what I want you to take notice of this morning. So far in verse number three, we've seen a man that has started from nothing and slowly through a period of time points himself towards the things of God. You see, there's some convictions that start working in his life that help him. This is a king. The buck stops with him. It don't pass him. Something happens, you go to Josiah. Josiah makes the decisions, but something higher than him began to cause him to have some conviction that caused him to change his course. So immediately when he takes the kingdom of Judah at Jerusalem where he begins to reign, you find that he doesn't immediately start getting rid of the high places and these places of worship where this idol worship was going on from the forefathers that he had prior to him. doesn't happen immediately. Now I notice this, and I, I, the Lord just really made this real personal to me as I began to study these verses of Scripture because I got saved at about eight years old. And I didn't know nothing about the Word of God. All I knew about God's book is what someone lived in front of me. I had people that left me some really bad examples. And I had some people that left me, a few people left me some really good examples. And I thank God for that. But I had to start making some decisions at some point for myself. Now I do want to say this to you. We like sometimes when it's convenient to blame our mamas and our daddies and our nannies and papas and grandpas and mamas or whatever you call them and act like that we are what we are today because of that. Now there's no doubt that upbringing is important in a child's life. But when we quit being a child and become a man, we're to put away childish things according to Paul, right? And so what I'm saying to you is, is there, take, there comes a time when we take responsibility for ourselves. We know that, okay? This young man was given a task at an age that really wasn't appropriate to his age bracket, but the duty was still the same. And I'd say the pressures of what he had to do was very heavy upon him. And he could have made some decisions that were wrong, but he's trying to figure out what to do. And so what we see here is a progression. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the Lord. So we know that he reigned for eight years before he started seeking the Lord. All right? And then it says, uh, after the, uh, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images. All right? So here's what I want you to see. This man hasn't discovered the book yet. Where we find that over here later in the chapter. So what is it, Brother Shane, that's causing him to do the right thing? It wasn't a book. The book is not what was turning him towards God. So it was the book. Well, I won't argue there, but it wasn't because he was reading it. 
Oh, the book was having an effect on him, but it wasn't because he was reading it. What was causing this was he is a king now who's happened to look back on the history of his nation. And he's having to consider some facts based upon things in the past. It's very important that you and I understand that our children today don't have a history like we do. We are helping build their history. What's going on in their present today makes them makes history for them tomorrow. And you and I have a we're subjecting them to things that help to make up their history, what they will call back to. But I like this because history is having an effect on this man. Why? He began to seek after the God of David his father, and the twelfth year began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. So notice this. He started seeking the Lord at 16 years of age. Eight years he reigned before he sought the Lord. Then after he started seeking the Lord, it took him another four years before he began to purge. Do you know I'd say there was a lot of consideration went into this. I'd say some years went by and a lot of head scratching, a lot of chin rubbing, a lot of wondering, a lot of a long time, a lot of questions being asked. Well, I can remember those days. I remember those days in my life when things didn't make a lot of sense. I'm trying to put some pieces of this puzzle together because there's some things that are broken in my understanding, you know. And I'm trying to piece them together and I'm looking at history and I'm trying to consider some things and things don't all together make sense. But as pieces of the puzzle start coming together, conviction begins to take over in your life and helps point you in, a, in an appropriate direction. But notice the time that takes place. All right, so through a progression of time here, he says, uh, and the Bible, the Bible in verse 4, and they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, which means he went down there to make sure it got done. All right, and he says, and the images that were, on the, uh, that were on high above them he cut down, and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made dust of them and strode upon the graves of them that had sacrificed under them. Still ain't found the book. Still ain't read the book. All right, so the Bible says that he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. Let, let me say this. He didn't want anything left over from them even laying around, right? And so this is what he said. So did he in the cities of Manasseh of Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Nepali, with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves, and had beaten the graven images into powder, and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. It almost seems that he was down there watching all of this transpire. It was so important to him, Brother Shane, that he showed up on the job site to make sure the job got done right. So he goes down there and he shows up on the job site. Things are going good. He's happy. We've got rid of these high places. The, the remnant of, of, of these, this idol worship is gone. Hey, even the priests that promoted this, we've burnt and smoked their bones into powder. We've eradicated, we've eradicated our land of this mess. And then what happens is the Bible says he returned to Jerusalem. Why? Because he set out and done what he intended to do. 
end of the job. Job's over. Job's complete. Job's done, right? What are we saying here? We're saying here that in verses 3 through 7, we're seeing a reformation take place. Okay? And uh, let me explain to you what a reformation is. It's a correction or amendment uh, of life, manners, or anything vicious or corrupt. To reform is to change from worse to better, to remove that which is corrupt. So we see a, a move away from meaningless worship of idols and a focus of attention on God alone. History is teaching Josiah that there's some things wrong in what we've done in the recent past. Can I get a witness right back? We see that in our country. In recent past, there's some things that's going on today that is, is wrong, all right? But we see what he's doing is he's first trying to get away from, from all the idol worship and then focus his attention on God. Can I say to you the first step we see to a change in this land is an understanding that people have got to take their eyes off of everything else and point their eyes towards God. People today are looking at everything, not just people from a national standpoint, people in the church. People in God's house have their attention focused on everything but not God. And so what we're finding here is, is he don't even want to share the attention. Josiah doesn't want to share the attention that they need to be given to God, to other idol, little g-gods. But he's saying we're going to eradicate the high places, we're going to get rid of all the idol worship, and we're going to focus our attention on the one true God. I'm telling you, if we're going to have revival in this place, it will come from taking our eyes off of everything else and pointing our eyes and our minds towards that of the Lord, Amen. primarily, solely, only. Okay? All right, so we find verses 3 through 7, Reformation. Now listen, I, I, this is interesting because in verse 30, chapter 30, 34, verses 1 through 7, we see a man that's trying to do what he thought was right. Now I want to say this to you. I believe in my heart, Brother Gene, that there are sometimes in the house of God that some arguments and some frustration occurs because some people want what they want, whether they think it's right or not. They just want what they want. But I'll say this. I think there's been problems in the church before from two individuals that both thought that they were right. One wanted to go one way and one wanted to go the other. They were so passionate about what they believed was right that they made a mistake. Somewhere there was just uh, discord or issues that arose in the house of God or even in homes. In homes sometimes you'll have one person pulling one way, one person pulling the other way. Both parties think they're right but they're heading in a different direction. I'll say this, both parties cannot be right. Now both of them can be wrong. But they both can't be right. So let me say, not, not, not pulling in opposite directions. Okay? So here's what I'm saying to you. We see a man trying to do what he thought was right. His motivation was for that, that which was right. I find sometimes people in God's house get uh, aggravated, frustrated. There, there's division in God's house because of two parties that think that they both know what is right and they pull in opposite directions. Even though their motivation may be right. Now notice this. What we're seeing here is a man that's happened to build on puzzle piece by puzzle piece. Do you know why? Because there wasn't any leadership. 
Oh yeah, he was the one in charge, but he didn't have one leading him, anyone leading him. He got kicked into this thing at the ripe old age of eight. So he's having to learn as he goes, you understand. And so when you learn as you go, let me say this. When you learn as you go, be ready to say I'm sorry because you will make mistakes. Oh, yes, friend. You'll not learn as you go and get to the end of the matter scot-free thinking you've made every decision that you've ever made right. Oh, I can look back on some decisions that I made in the early stages of my spiritual growth, and I can tell you, Brother Gene, I made a lot of bad decisions. Oh, yes, I, I've, I've argued with some preachers in my, in my mind. I've, I've argued with some things that I've heard some people say just because I didn't like it, didn't agree with it. I wasn't spiritually strong enough to understand it yet. Didn't make them wrong. But me jumping in haste made me wrong. But as I grew in grace and knowledge, I've had to go back and say I'm sorry to a few folk in my life. And so here's what I'm showing you. Uh, he was trying to do what was right as he seemed fit. But then we get into verse number 8. And we see that we've moved from res uh, reformation to now we're, we're in a mode of restoration. Okay? So verses eight says, verse 8 says, Now in the 18th year of his reign... When he had purged the land. So notice this. Verse 3 says for in the eighth year of his reign. He was 16 years old when he started to seek the Lord. Then we find here that the twelfth year began to purge Jews. So he was 20 years old when we see this reformation starting. Now, Brother Shane, he is in the eighteenth year of his reign. He's 26 years old. So at 26 years old, when he had purged the land and the house, how long did it take him to purge all this stuff? Probably about six years. It took him almost six years to get things under control in the land that he was the authority of. Just because you're an authoritarian don't mean you're going to clean the house and fix it tomorrow. It'll take some time. It's going to take some time to repair some things that are wrong. It's going to take some time to fix some things that's been handled in an inappropriate manner. But through time and through effort and through the motivation of your heart being towards God, I'll say this, it can be done. And I thank the Lord for that. So now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and uh, Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Now here's what I want you to see. We see an effort to eradicate pointing people or allowing people to point themselves towards idol worship, the need to point themselves to God only, and then once we get that under control, Brother Shane, now it's time to go down to God's house, and we're going to straighten things up down at God's house because God's house is in disrepair. We find that the house of God is in disrepair, and a reason that it's in disrepair is because it was simply set idle and not used. Now look what happens here. Now there's some other things. We're not going to get into all that that was wrong with the house of the Lord. But what I am saying to you is that we're not utilizing it all this time in the manner in which it was intended to be utilized. Alright, and so the Bible says here, when they came to Hilkiah the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim. Now I want you to notice that. Who was it that kept the doors? The Levites. We ain't found the book yet. Do you see that there's still some things left over for generations that basically have quit becoming, uh, it, 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 it was right, it was how God designed it, 
But I will say this to you, it wasn't because they knew God designed it that way. They're doing what they're doing on tradition. Oh, yes. There's some things that are right that's being done because of tradition only. And that's why it's easy for people to be discarded or for things to change because they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Why do you think we've been going through Wednesday nights and trying to get a foothold on why we believe what we believe? They're believing some things, Brother Marvin, right here, but they're not 400% certain why they believe what they believe. And so here's, here's what I'm showing here. The Bible says, uh, verse number, uh, let's go back to verse number 9. When they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered to the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and all of the remnant of Israel and of all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they put it in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. Now, amend just means to correct. So they were trying to make some corrections down in the, in the house of God. All right? Even to the artificers uh, and builders gave they it to buy home stone and timber for couplings and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Now notice this, verse 11, we find that there's disrepair at God's house because of the kings. The kings were responsible because they were the ones that held the authority. The one that holds the authority at the house of God will be held responsible for the state of the house of God. All right? And the men did the work faithfully. And uh, the overseers of them were Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites, the Levites now, of the sons of Merari, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and Zechariah uh, and Meshulam, uh, of the sons of the Kohathites, to set it forward, and other of the Levites, all that could skill of instruments of music. Also they were over the bearers of burdens and were overseers of all that wrought the work in any manner of service. And of the Levites there were scribes and officers and porters. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book. Now I want you to notice that. He did, the Bible does not say in verse 14 that Hilkiah the priest found the book. Notice that. Now, he did find the book, but what he's found is a book because he doesn't understand it for what it is. So we see, and when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law of the house of the Lord. So now he knows what he's got his hands on. Now, here's, I want you to notice this. All these years have gone by. The house of God is in disrepair. They do not know why they believe what they believe. They do not know why they're doing what they're doing. We've got a man here that's the ripe old age of eight that starts his kingship. And he don't know why he's doing what he's doing. He's seeking for answers. He's longing for answers. He knows he needs something that he does not have. He's trying to put the puzzle pieces together. His heart's right. His motivation's right. But he don't have the book. I will say this, I don't care what your motivations are, friend. I don't care what your convictions are. I don't care what you like or what you think. If it don't go by the book, it's hogwash and it doesn't matter. Amen. 
So what am I saying to you? There's a lot of people this morning that's got some convictions. They've had some wants and some likes and some dislikes and some things they agree with and some things they don't. Some things they'll go with and some things they won't. But it really doesn't matter because it all goes back to what the book says. So here's a man that's, that's wanting and longing to know what's right, but he don't have the book. And then on the high priest we find that he, he found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan and the scribe, I have found the book of the laws. Now where did he find it? In the house of the Lord. Let me say this to you. It was there the whole time. The book was there the entire time. Do you know why things turned out the way they did? Because somebody turned around and left the house of the Lord. Oh yeah, they left the house of the Lord and the book in it. Now I won't say this, and I don't mean to ruffle no feathers. But I don't believe for a second that people read their Bible and study their Bible that won't come to church. I'll tell you right now, people have left the right way. If you can't come to God's house when God's house is open, don't tell me that you're sitting around reading God's book and you're not filling your mind with the things of the world. I don't believe it. I won't buy that for a second. They've walked away from the house of God. They've found themselves in idol worship, worshiping everything else but God to find that they left the Word of God back in the house of God. Now I say this, I can't be at everybody's house. I can't go where everybody's going. I can't keep an eye on what everybody's doing, but I tell you what I can do, I keep the Word of God at the house of God. And as long as we've got the Word of God being preached and taught at the house of God, then when somebody finally decides to get back to the house of God again, they can have something that can help them. And I appreciate that. Now, you know, and let me, let me pause for a second because we, we get on and we get to harping sometimes on, on this matter of being at the house of God. And we get to harping sometimes on not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. And that's, that Bible verse is true. As we see the day approaching and we know that we're in the last days of the last days, it's more important to be at the house of God when the doors of God's house is open more now than it ever has been. And for each passing day, it will be more important. It'll be more important next week for me to be in God's house when these doors are open than it was this week. And it was important this week. So it never gets any less. It just gets more important. So rest assured, the older you get, the more important it is for you to be in God's house. And you say, well, I can get all I need down there at God's house one time a week. No, you cannot. Now let me say this. You don't eat just one time a week. You eat three times a day, seven days a week, whether we need it or whether we don't. Why? Because we enjoy eating it. You know why people won't come to God's house? Because they don't enjoy being here. They're not hungering and thirsting for the things that are being fed to them in this place. Now, I do want you to know this, Matthew 4 and 4 says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now I want you to take notice with me, a very familiar verse of Scripture, but I want you to notice the end of it. It says 2 Timothy 2 and 15, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed about dividing the word of truth. Now you know why people won't come to God's house? Because they're not interested in being fed what is being offered to them. The issue isn't church. The issue isn't God's house. It's a symptom of a problem. 
You know what the problem is? A rejection and a lack of interest in what God has to say about something. When you won't come to God's house and give God's a house where we, this place we've dedicated to the Lord, to hear what thus saith the Lord, and even the more so as you see the day approaching, the problem isn't your lack of interest of the people or God's house or what, it's, it's all about the Word of God. People don't like to hear what God has to say about something. Alright, so here's what I want you to understand. They act like they do, but they don't. Alright, so here's what I want you to see. And, and let me say this, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep bumping this for just a second if I can. You'll have some people that act like they have to hold some sort of position in God's house in order to keep them faithful to God's house. Well, I've got to do this because if I don't do this, well, I, won't, I, just won't, I just won't, I won't be able to be faithful. Now, I'm going to be honest with you right now. If you've got to have something, an obligation... An obligation to do something, to be in God's house on a regular basis, your reason for being here isn't right to begin with. You're doing what you're doing because of an obligation, not because you love the Lord. Not, listen, we're obligated to be here whether we hold a position or whether we don't. So what you're doing is you're telling on yourself when you make statements like that for what your reason for being here is to begin with. And I'll say this, I'm not interested in anybody holding any position or doing anything uh, at this church because they have to have it in order to be here. We have to have it because God says we have to have it. We have to be here because it pleases the Lord and because we can get something from God's book that he has for us. Why? Because we need to be interested about what God is saying to us. Now here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want to get to here. We see a restoration of the house of God. Now he's doing it because he's convinced he was right. Notice this, verses three through seven. We see a reformation. He's trying to do what he thought was right. In verses eight through thirteen, he's doing what he's doing because he's convinced he was right. Now, there's some people that think they're doing right. There's some people that are convinced they're doing right. But then we get on down here to verses 14 through 18, and we find that after they found the book of the law, Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book. Now I'll say this. It's not sometimes it's good enough to find the book, praise God. We need to carry the book. We need to take the book. We need to share the book. Here's a man that's trying to be right. He's convinced he's right, but he still needs the book. And so we find here that Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king a word back again saying, all that was committed to thy servants, they do it. So when he comes back, if you allow me to do it like this, he's got the book. And he goes back to Josiah to report to Josiah how things are going down at the house of God. Okay? And so we find here that we drop to verse 18. It says, Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now I'll say this, it don't do you no good to have it if you won't read it. Oh yes, they found it. They found it where it was left. They found it in a, in a pile of rubble. The importance of the word of God was left at bay. They find it amongst a pile of rubble as they're trying to restore God's house. I'll say this, there'll be no restoration until the word of God is at the head of it. Well, they can try, they can long, they can want, they can desire, but until God's book is the one controlling the restoration, there'll be no restoration. 
Now I do want you to notice this. Suddenly, Josiah wasn't interested about the report that was coming back on God's house. When it was discovered that a book had been found, the book began to be read. Notice this. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest said, Give me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. The very first time we see renting of clothes or the renting of clothes in the word of God, best I can tell, is in Genesis 37 when Reuben went down there to find that his brother wasn't to be found. What happened? He rent his clothes. Do you know what that is a picture of? It is a picture of severe grief. Grief, suffering, pain, anguish. When it gets back word, when it gets word back here in verse 34, the Bible says that Jacob ran his clothes. Why? Why did Jacob bring his clothes? Because he's found out something's happened to his son. So we see the, 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 the renting of clothes to be a picture of grief. Why is it that King Josiah, this man of status and hierarchy, has rent his clothes? Because all these years have passed. All these little pieces of the puzzle that he's worked so hard to put into place. And in a 1,500-piece puzzle, he ain't got but about 150 of them put together. He's managed to get the border of the puzzle, but the meat of the matter is still left to be figured out, right? And so what's happened is suddenly, out of nowhere, is the Word of God, and the Word of God pricks his heart and blows his mind at the same time. You know what we need today? We can hammer and preach and go on about getting to God's house, and I'm not going to stop doing that. But I'll say this, until we get a love and a thirst and a hungry and a care, just caring what God has to say. Just caring. My kids sat at the table the other night and stared at broccoli and stared at broccoli and stared at broccoli. So we give them some ranch dressing to go on to broccoli. They just licked the ranch dressing, and they were still looking at broccoli. Said, I'm full. I said, I guess you are. You drink five gallons of French dressing. <laughs> so my point is this. Sometimes you have to eat it though even you don't like it, but you care about it. Yeah. There's sometimes I have to eat the broccoli of the Word of God when I'm not interested in eating it. There's sometimes we, you know, you get a Tootsie Roll every once in a while and it tastes good. But there's sometimes when we have to eat the broccoli in the Word of God. But we go on and eat it because we know that it's beneficial for us. This man right here, what he was tasting was the broccoli. Why? It really rent his clothes. It caused him anguish and pain. It caused him to be concerned. So we find here renting of clothes shows grief, and grief is immense sorrow, and sorrow is pain of mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, verse number 9, says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive, uh, that you might not receive damage by us, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. They were at a place now where they could accomplish 
everything that they desire to accomplish. I believe in my heart that there are good people trying to do the right thing, trying to go the right direction. They want things to be right. They might be pulled in the wrong direction. They may think that they're right when they're wrong. And their motivation is right. But if you'd ever get in that Bible and see what God has to say about something and quit always fighting what you think somebody else is saying about something, it could help you. And so here's what I want you to see. We find here that uh, verses 8 through 13, he's doing it because he was convinced he was right. And then we get right down here uh, in verses 14 through 18. We've seen the Reformation. We've seen an attempt at restoration. Now we're finding the Revelation. Verses 14 through 18, it has now been revealed unto King Josiah what the actual truth is. The pieces have come together. It's a great day, Brother Marvin, in your life when you've struggled and you've pulled and you've, you've, you've fought and you've kicked and you've screamed and you've hollered about what you think is right and all the fighting and arguing and all the discord in homes and churches to figure, finally figure out what God says about something. And so we're, we're finding here that there's a, there's a revelation now. And revelation is the act of disclosing or discovering to others what was before unknown to them. The act of revealing. Can I say the word of God was always there? Hey, it just needed to be read. <laughs> you know what? And I ain't being smart. I'm like Brother Shane. I ain't trying to be cold this morning. We just need to read it. It's right here. Wipe the dust off of it. Turn off the TV. Park it for a day or two and let's figure out what God says about something. It amazes me the people that's 50, 60, 70 years old got questions about things and the answers is right there. But they spent 30 years at God's house having never got the answer. Why? Because they didn't care enough about it to dig it out for themselves. Caring what God said about something was not a priority. Many other priorities. The house, the word of God was at the house of God the entire time. So he went from trying to do what he thought was right and then doing what he was doing because he was convinced he was right to now discovering what was right. You know, discovering what is right will stop you from being convinced that what you're doing is right if what you're doing is wrong. All right, so we went from Reformation to the attempt of restoration. Now we've got Revelation. Then get down here to verse 19, and it says, And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. We went from Reformation to an attempt of restoration to Revelation, now to recognition. Oh, yes, now we've recognized. So we've been trying to do what he was trying to do what he thought was right. He was doing what he was doing because he was convinced he was right. Then he's discovering what is right. Then he's finding this out. He's discovering that he needs to get right. It's an amazing thing when you thought you're doing all these things and you're pulling and you're doing all these things but you find out that essentially one thing that you need is to get right. It's not good enough to think you're doing right. It's not good enough. See, here's what I want you to know. They thought a lot of things, but the answer was right there in the house of God the entire time. I'll say this. On Sunday nights and Wednesday nights when you won't get down to God's house because you've got other things you want to do, 
There could be some things down there, Brother Marvin, that God could be trying to send you that could help you in the problems that you're having that you don't understand. And if you just get a care for what God said about something, there could be some things in your life that could resolve, and there could be some harmony in your life like you've never seen before. And it comes from this, not pleasing the preacher because the preacher won't shut up about getting to God's house. Do not come here just to please me. That's what's wrong with a lot of motivation today. People need to have this obligation to do something, to hold them accountable. No, you're accountable to God. You'll stand at a judgment whether I like what you're doing or don't. So what, I, what am I saying to this? We need to, get them, we need to understand the importance of what God thinks about something. Then we need to start caring what God has to say about something. And I'll tell you this, we can, we can have revival. Revival will come when we're interested in reformation, restoration, and we've got the revelation, and we've got recognition. When we recognize what's wrong with us, listen, you can't get in God's book. You can't listen to real preaching. You can't sit under godly, uh, the God-inspired word of God, friend, and it not reveal to you what's wrong in your life. Studying the Word of God makes a difference. Knowing what God says makes a difference. Not just what somebody says that it says. You can find a commentary on anything. And a commentary, will you can find any commentary to back up your belief. Any commentary. You can find any church. If you don't like it here, you can go somewhere where they tell it the way you want to hear it. But they may not tell you what the Bible says about it. See, that's the difference. It's what the Bible says. Listen, it wasn't just that the house of God made all the difference. It was that the book made the difference. Listen, they were reading the book when they wasn't down at the house of God. The book was being read in Josiah's hearing, and Josiah wasn't at the house of God. If we'd hear the Bible and put the Bible in our eyes and in our ears, even when we wasn't in the house of God, it would change things down at the house of God. We've got it backwards today. So let me say this and I'll be done. We'll, we'll grab the rest of this. No, this is different this morning, but we'll pick this up again in another message as we continue on with this. I want to give you a, a, a little definition here of the word standard. And standard is that which is established as a rule or model. That which is established by sovereign power as a rule or model. Now here's what I want you to see. Oftentimes we talk about how we don't use each other for the standard. We have to get our standard from what? The Word of God, right? The Word of God. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So what is the standard? How do we determine our standards? You'll notice with me that in the house of God, there's a wide array, a, array, a wide level of standards. Some people believe this is okay. Some people believe this isn't. Some people believe this is okay. Some people believe this isn't. Some people that back there, and I'm not talking to you just because you're back there. I'm just saying. Some people in the back might say, I'll talk to you, you're in the back. Uh, some people in the back might say, well, there's, there's no standards at all. I don't care either way. There's a standard. There is a standard. It's in the Word of God. And we go by the Word of God. And so the standard is that which is established as a rule or model. Now, I want to say this. Standard, Brother Gene, is much more 
much more than what you wear or what you don't wear. But what you wear and what you don't wear has become synonymous with standards because there always seems to be an argument about that. So here's what, here's what I want you to see. The standard of living that we are to go by is by the book. Man is to live by the word of God. Man is to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm going to give you these four verses and I'll be finished. Man is to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8 and 2 says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know that was what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. What is he doing? He's giving them some history. Now we're still learning today about some things that happened in the 40 years that the children of Israel lived and wandered in the wilderness. Notice this. He says, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna which thou knowest not, knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live by. In other words, what he allowed him to go through in those 40 years was for one reason only. To teach them one simple truth. They was always thinking and worrying about their meal. And how they were going to eat. And we find the story, you know, where they where he give them uh, meat or quail and it runs out until it run out of their nostrils. Essentially what he was saying is here, you went through this to learn one truth. That man cannot live by bread alone. But man has to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. You've yet to begin to live a life that God wants you to live until you subject yourself to what God has to say and what his word has to say to you. Luke 4, 4 says, Jesus answered him saying, It is written, that man shall live by bread alone, but every word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now like this, we find here that the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8, 3, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know uh, that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So they, they had to go through some things to learn that God uh, would take care of them, that they needed to hear what God had to say. It was much more than just what they put in their mouth. But notice what Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young. David said, I have been young. Well, Josiah was young, was he not? We summarize Josiah in verse 2 where it says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David's father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. You see the progression. We went through a great progression right here of, of Josiah's life. The progression was him starting out, trying to, to, to form his life based on some convictions. But then he had to start basing his convictions and form his convictions based on the word of God. Oh yeah, we form our life based on convictions. That's fine as long as your convictions is based on the Word of God. Amen. Amen. We need convictions. And we need to live by them. We don't need to move away from them. But our convictions need to be that of what the Bible has to say. Amen. And so he says, I've been young. And now I'm old. Lifetime's gone by. He says, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. 
You know what the Lord was trying to teach the children of Israel? That he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live by. When you and I want to know what God has to say, and we seek what God has to say, and we mold our life by our convictions, but our convictions by the Scripture, then you can say this. I once was young. Boy, there's a time when I could tell you all about some things when I was young. Then he says, now I'm old. And in retrospect, whether young or old, David could say this. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor seek begging bread. I'll say this to you, church. The Lord can take care of us. The Lord can take care of you. The Lord will watch out for us and lead us and guide us and direct us. But he's interested in one thing. He wants us to find the book. And then after we find the book, then he wants us to read the book. And I'll promise you this. I'll promise you this. I guarantee you this to be the truth. If you'll ever read the book, you'll get concerned about what God has to say in his book. There won't be a search party has to find you on Sunday night or Wednesday night. Now, I'm not talking to those who are working and have no choice but to be where they're at. But I'll say this to you. You won't put in for voluntary overtime on Sunday night or Wednesday night. You won't have a, a search party go out looking for you. There won't be people on Thursdays at 6 o'clock crying out to God, wanting to find out or wanting Him to pull on your heart to get you down to God's house. What will become important to you then is the more you care about God's Word and what God has to say about something, the more you'll care about lost and dying souls, Brother Shane. The more you'll care about God's house. See, this is God's house. This is where we, we learn about God. And I say to you, God don't give two hoots what's going on down there uh, on the lake or in the field or, or down on the job or, 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 or at the movies or whatever. God didn't, God didn't come for that. I'm not, and, and, and I'm not, I, I, I laugh at Brother Ray, me and him get hooked up on talking about fishing and we can just talk and talk and talk. But Brother Ray, it ain't, it ain't about that, brother. It's not about, it's not about basketball. It's not about throwing that pigskin down, down the, uh, the field. It's not about those things. It's about what God's interested in. You know, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it one more time. I've been closing for an hour and a half. Uh, what I'm saying to you is this. The Lord come for one purpose. To seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't take nothing back with him. The only thing that Christ will take with him for what he done upon this earth is those that are saved. And when he comes back, Brother Gene, to rapture the church, those that are, that are saved by the grace of God will go to him. Amen. That's what he come for. It's all right to have things you enjoy. I'm not against those things. I enjoy stuff. But I'll say this. As long as I kept... You, when I quit coming to church, Brother Shane, you can pretty much mark her down. I quit caring what God said about something. See, I want you to notice this. He wanted the house of God restored. The house of God didn't get restored until some personal restoration happened. He found revival in his personal life. He found the Spirit of God through the Word of God done something effectual in Josiah's life personally. And that made all the difference in how he reigned and how he ruled while he was king. And then when you summarize it in verse number 2, all that we find is that he was a man that followed the Lord just like his father David did.